Hello, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of the About to Review podcast, here to amplify diverse voices in media. It is me, your host, as always, that guy named John. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on your podcast platform of choice. Follow the podcast on social media at About to Review on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and youtube.com slash about to review as well. You can support the show if you want to click the PayPal link, as well as I believe I still have an Amazon wish list on there. Uh, I think so. It has been a hot minute since I have been here with you, my dear audience, doing an episode. Uh, it has been a few months, actually, since like February, because I feel like something happened a few months ago that made being a film critic a little difficult. Yeah, having a hard time to figure out what it was exactly. But regardless, I'm here with you again. It is so good to be back in the studio, recording an episode, talking about movies. I am definitely excited about that. Uh, To kind of address things right off the top, where have I been? (laughs) Uh, I definitely, I have been around and I do want to say right off the bat thank you to my listeners to my supporters who reached out during this past few months and just kind of checked up on me asked what I was doing seeing if I was all right that meant the world to me I got so many messages saying hey I miss hearing your voice I miss hearing your take on things so just thank you not just for the compliments But just checking up on me, it is so crucial, especially these days, to reach out to your friends, reach out to the people you care about, just to say hi, just to say, hey, how are you? It it means the world. So I have been around, but just going through some stuff, and I am back now and super excited. On this week's episode, I am going to be reviewing four new movies two domestic movies and two international movies. The domestic movies are Project Power and Tesla. The international movies are Sputnik and Peninsula. So before we go into all of that, we will go to the original theme song created by Damien Randall of Ill-Mannered Media. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat. So you know that old saying, it is just like riding a bike. So when I first started to really plan out this episode after so many months and I started writing my notes again, I was contacting publicists again and getting screeners and just getting back in the groove of things. It felt so good to just kind of be back in the mix. The other part of that saying, though, about the bike that they do not really talk about is even though you might remember how to ride a bike, yeah, you quickly remember it is hard work. It takes effort. And so with this, even planning this out, it took me 
days to really just start to like compartmentalize my thoughts, get everything down on paper, get the studio ready again. And so, yeah, it is like riding a bike, but riding a bike can still be hard work. But here I am and I, and I am here for, for you, but I have not taken off the past few months total. Uh, I have been working with some friends on their projects and I did some guest spots. And so I want to give a couple plugs to the things that I have been working on during this little thing called a global pandemic that has been happening. Uh, One of the first things that I was doing kind of right before the pandemic that has continued during this because the project keeps evolving and growing is a play called 7,433 Days of Silence. So this is a play that we did one live reading of uh, quite a few months ago now in front of kind of a closed audience. It was mainly just industry professionals to get some feedback on this play because it is the first play like this based off of the book Brave and Unbroken. So during this pandemic, we have done some Zoom script readings now that the script has been modified a few different times, and that project has been super fulfilling. So I will put a link to that website, to the Brave and Unbroken website, and you can read a little bit more about kind of that project in general. The play itself is still getting worked out. You know, they're still workshopping it um, with Penny and Chris, and it just, they are doing phenomenal work. So I will update with more information when I have it, but I for sure wanted to give them a plug. I also did a guest spot on my friend Silas and Samantha's podcast called Black and a Half. That was episode 106, and we talked about kind of the black experience and our various experiences that we have had throughout our lives and kind of relating to what was going on at that time, which was a couple months ago. And again, things have kept happening over the past couple months, but at least you can kind of go back and touch base with what we were feeling at that time. So that was episode 106 of the Black and a Half podcast with Silas and Samantha. I also did an interesting project uh, for my friend Matt's podcast, which is a horror survival fiction podcast called Daybreak. Now, that was really interesting because he reached out to me and he was like, hey, man, I'm doing this kind of audio drama, audio play that I'm writing during the pandemic. Uh, I would love to have you involved. I just have a few lines for a character. Do you have some time for it? And I was like, of course, I I will absolutely help you out. We started talking about it. And then a little bit later, he was like, "Uh, you can do an Australian accent, right? And then I was like, I mean, sure. Sure, sure I can. Uh, I have not done any acting in a while, but no problem. For you, I will make it happen. So it is like five lines in episode four of Daybreak. Uh, I will also put a link to that. Uh, Definitely shout out to my friend Jamie up in Vancouver, BC, who is Australian. And as soon as I started hearing about these lines, I was like, okay, time to dial a friend or phone a friend who can help me with this dialogue. So we did like a one hour coaching session of just audio dialogue and accents of this Australian character. And then I recorded it, submitted it within 24 hours, and then it got released into the world. 
So if you want to hear me do a kind of crazy Australian accent, it probably is not fantastic, but hey, it is my first time ever doing one. So again, that link will be in there as well. So yeah, so daybreak, black and a half, 7,433 days of silence. And then the other thing that I did was a short video for the Vancouver Quarantine Performance Project. This was something that was such a cool event. Knowing that there were so many filmmakers quarantining and in isolation when the industry shut down, my friends up in Vancouver, you know, Joel, he was like, okay, how do we connect each other? How do we support each other as filmmakers during this pandemic? And so he created the Vancouver Quarantine Performance Project, this kind of little film festival, not little film festival, it's actually, it was super impressive. And they did more than one. So with that, um, I did some voiceover for kind of the awards portion. And then I also did, recorded a short video kind of as their Seattle correspondent uh, because my filmmaking community up in Vancouver, BC is one of my biggest loves. I love them so much. I miss going up there. And so this was a way for me to stay connected with the film community up there and be a small part of it. So I will also put a link to the Vancouver Quarantine Performance Project. Okay, so I think that was all of my plugs kind of right up front as far as the activities that I have been doing during these past few months. And I also want to take a second to kind of just address everybody who is listening to this who has been struggling, you know, for this past few months. Take that time that you need to yourself to reset mentally, physically, emotionally, whatever it is, just try and find some sort of balance. And I fully realize it is tough. I've been struggling with that a lot the past few months, but talking to friends, getting help when I needed to, just connecting with people has been incredible. But still, give yourself that time. Treat yourself to that time, even if it is just going for a walk down the road, a mile, a 5K, whatever you want to do, find that time and give yourself that gift. So I am, I am with you. I, I understand people are struggling. So hopefully listening to this might be able to distract you a little bit from, from the madness of, of the world. But there are several resources out there to, to contact, whether it is helplines or just somebody to talk to. Definitely utilize those, whatever resources that you have access to. And also just hit me up if you want to. On social media, send me a message and we can just chat. I, I am absolutely all about that. Okay. Whew. All right. So it is about 10 minutes into the episode and right on time uh, with my kind of jabber jaw into the first review. So this is Project Power, which debuted on Netflix a couple days ago. This stars Jamie Foxx, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, and Dominique Fishback, and was directed by Henry Joost and Ariel Schulman, written by Matson Tomlin. Now, kind of starting off, the directors of this come from, well, they started with like the Catfish movie, which then, of course, became a huge show. But they have also directed Paranormal Activity. Two of them, in fact. And so this writing duo, this directing duo, has done a wide 
variety of things, ever from like documentary style to that horror. With Project Power, you get this modern, I mean, I some people have been billing it as a superhero movie, and I do not really agree with that. This is more a movie about a thing, a MacGuffin, if you will, that gives people superpowers based off of kind of their internal body chemistry. So each person who takes this drug that they get off of the street, a different power will manifest within themselves. So that is kind of the the framework, is that there's this dangerous drug on the street, and in the movie it kind of does an interesting thing where even people within the movie doubt that there are these things going on. And so when a bank gets robbed and somebody who may or may not be invisible did it, there are still people around doubting this drug and doubting they're like, oh, it must be something else. It must be X, Y, and Z. And not believing that there are kind of superpowered individuals out there. But with that superpower, it is a very limited thing. So they kind of crush this capsule in their mouth, which... They also never really explained. It kind of looked glass, and you have to twist it and then swallow it. And I, they did not really go into too, many, too much detail about that. But once you do that, you manifest a power based on a few different characteristics, but it only lasts five minutes. So that kind of lends an interesting twist to this kind of genre but it did remind me of like there was an X-Men storyline with or actually a few different X-Men storylines with like the mutant growth hormone and kids were basically getting it on the street and they would take it or ingest it or, you know, inject it and they would get mutant powers for a short amount of time and it became a whole thing. So, yeah, the, the framework of the movie other than the five minute superpower is you get Joseph Gordon-Levitt, who is a cop in New Orleans who is friends with Dominique Fishbank's character, even though, and she is kind of the, the supplier that he needs. Jamie Foxx is a an ex-soldier who is basically on his own mission. The two of them meet up, or rather the three of them meet up, and shenanigans ensue from there. And they realize that they all have kind of the same goal, and they start going towards that. So a couple of the points that were interesting in this that I liked the color design and the graphics or the the kind of the practical effects along with the CGI was actually really well done. I mean, this is a movie that debuted on Netflix. I'm not sure what the budget was. I did not look that up, but a lot of it looks solid. The effects look solid. At one point, a character gets shot in the head kind of point blank, like six inches away and we see this slow motion reverberation through his face and they stick to it. They stick on it. The camera really stays there. It is well lit. It is during the day and they do not really drown it out in dark or in smoke. There is kind of a climactic scene that is heavily in the dark, in the rain, which is something I have railed against for a long time because a lot of times they do that to hide the effects. I want those effects to be showcased because the performances were all solid in this movie. And so when you blend that with good effects, weird, 
it can work. So other than kind of the, the mutant growth hormone, they're, or I keep calling it that, but the, the power is, is what they call it. These little tablets that you break open and, and devour. So with this, we kind of find out that maybe, of course, there's a shadowy government entity involved. And that actually really resonated because that has happened before. In more ways than one, the actual U.S. government has introduced drugs into communities, as again, I'm sure some of my listeners know this very well, but even proje projects like MKUltra, where the government, and this is all like documented, this is not a crazy conspiracy theory, the government produced drugs, gave them to communities, and then documented the results, because they were not going to get access for human trials, but they were like, hey, how about we do our own human trials. So that kind of plays and, and it and plays well. When it comes to the drug itself, again, like they go into some explanation of it, but not really enough. Like not enough for me to still understand what it was, how it affected people, where it came from, the kind of long-term effects of it. They just kind of started throwing things into the movie. But again, the performances sold it enough where it was convincing. Where at least you were kind of along for the ride. So I liked that. I liked the score and the soundtrack. There was some really good music in there as well. Uh, Dominique Fishbank, she really carried this movie. Especially when you are up against two kind of powerhouses. Like Jamie Foxx and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Jamie Foxx with his latest hairline. I think this is hairline number 16. It looks great. Uh, whatever, whatever you need, buddy. Do you, King. It looks great. Keep this hairline. It is your best one yet. Stick with it. Uh, so Dominique Fishbang, like, she, you know, plays really well in these scenes. She holds her own. She excels in this role. And again... I like seeing, especially women of color, black women, in movies like this where it's like, okay, here she is front and center. I say that even though I'm looking at the poster and Jamie Foxx is front and center, but during the movie, you can you get what it, you know, what what I will mean or you will understand what I mean. Whew, yeah, this is the first time back in a few months, still kind of brushing things off. But anyway, so there's not much more that I, I want to talk about with this because, again, the plot itself is kind of standard. As it goes on, you can kind of start pulling up the threads. You can kind of see where it is going to go. And when it goes there, you're like, okay, that works. Um, so, yeah, so I'm not going to go too much more into that, but I really like the characters. The soundtrack was great. I like the color play. A lot just it was just really interesting color dynamic choices especially when these different powers manifest so uh yeah uh the, so that i'm just gonna kind of keep it a little bit short on that one i said a little bit short it was like 10 minutes of me talking to myself in the studio for the first time in a while so for those of you who are listening for the first time or those of you who have not listened in a while and need a reminder of the greatest rating system known to the film critic world, there are no stars. There are no letters. Why? Because those are too many choices. There are only three choices when it comes to rating things on this podcast. Those three choices are good, 
bad or ugly. A good film is something you walk out of the theater with. Oh, remember that? Remember when we could walk in? Remember when we could walk into and out of theaters? Ah, it was the before time in the long, long ago. But regardless, uh, when you would come out of a theater and you would want to start talking to your friends about it, you would want to shoot texts off and you would talk on social media and be like, I dug this movie. You should go see it. That is a good movie. A bad movie is when you come out of the theater and you're just kind of talking about it and you're like, you know, it was okay, but then this and this and this just kind of meh. That is bad. An ugly movie is avoid at all costs. So my official rating for Project Power, which is streaming on Netflix, uh, at least in the U.S. right now, uh, for all my international listeners, not really sure when it will be there if it is not already, but official rating for Project Power gets a good. Uh, I definitely enjoyed it. It was a cool little entry into this kind of superhero-esque genre. There are some ways that they kind of left some doors open if they want to explore this world further. And I, I would like to see that. I would like to see more of the things they touched on as far as maybe the creation of this or where it came from and how it works because they never really explained that. But I, I was sold on this. So yeah, it gets a good. Next on the docket, this is Tesla. Now, this is directed by Michael Almereda and written also by Michael Almereda, starring Ethan Hawke, Eve Hewson, Eli A. Smith, Jim Gaffigan is, is also in this, Kyle McLaughlin. So definitely some, some heavy hitters. This is about, I know this is going to come as a big shock. This is about Nikola Tesla. I know, weird, with a movie called Tesla. This makes the second movie in like 12 months to have Nikola Tesla in it. Uh, a Current War from last year also had that. Tom Holland played Tesla. And so this, I mean, anybody who has seen any movie about Tesla, you kind of know what you're going in for. Or you're, you kind of know what you're going to get when you go in to this film. But this one really kind of hyper-focuses on just a few years. Like around 1884 to 1901, that part of, of Tesla's life from when he was first working with Edison to, I mean, the current wars and everything, and then kind of his spiral towards the end of the early 20th century. So here, here is my thing with, with this film. Every now and then, you get a writer or a director or an actor who is so enthralled with the subject matter, and it is such a passion project and that is exactly what this is. Michael Almereda started writing a script about Tesla in 1980. He shopped it around in 1982 after he finished college or after he dropped out of college. Jack Nicholson was involved at one point in the discussions of making his original script in 1982. That stuff kind of fizzled out. He then started tinkering with other things and he has gone on to you know, definitely make some other you know, films during this time. But Tesla has always been a fascination for Michael Almereda. So much so that I it kind of blinds him. I, I have made these comparisons before. It is like when you watch a police procedural and a detective has 
a family member who gets involved in some sort of accident or something horrendous. And the police chief comes in there and they're like, all right, Johnson, you're too close to this. You're off the case. There is a reason they do that. With Michael Almereda, he is way too close to Tesla. And I say that because this movie, even though it kind of hyper-focuses on a few years, it makes no sense. This is a, a, a biopic that... Well, actually, before, before I go into that, I will say I am a fan of unconventional storytelling, unconventional filmmaking, unconventional dialogue. I like all of that stuff. I like kind of that mold-breaking creativity because that is what being a creative person is all about. Being a filmmaker, being an artist, whatever it is, a musician, breaking that mold and going against tradition is super cool and I can totally dig it when it works. This biopic, and this is not spoiling anything because pretty much every article that is out about this, this is a very, very unique biopic, and it is shot in a way and filmed in a way that about 30 minutes in, there is a twist, which is weird for biopic because it is based off of real people. There's a twist in the filmmaking technique that is going to break people. That I think people watch, when they watch this, when they're able to watch this, there's going to come a moment where your brain is going to say, huh? What just happened? And why did that happen? And why are we doing this? And now we're back to this? And now we're doing... It is bizarre. It is super, super bizarre. I'm not going to spoil kind of that twist, but it is a punch in the face as obvious as as it is. So with that being said, when it comes to the performances, because that kind of can make or break a movie, Ethan Hawke is wooden, is dull, is aloof, and some of that is accurate for Tesla, but Tesla was also charismatic. Tesla was able to get crazy amounts of funding back then for just designs on paper. He was able to convince people through his gift of gab or his just kind of scientific understanding of like, hey, here is this crazy idea I have. I need $100,000. And he would get it. Ethan Hawke has none of that. He is just dry through this whole thing. And, I mean, Nikola Tesla was Serbian. Um, Ethan Hawke maybe does a Serbian accent for like six lines throughout the entire one hour and 42 minute movie. Nothing is consistent with his performance other than the woodenness. And that is a damn shame because Ethan Hawke is great. He is so, so good in so many things. This just did not work. And I, I was just, I was really kind of shocked by that. Now, Kyle McLaughlin, who plays Thomas Edison, he was, again, he was good, but with almost nothing to do. Like, we have this legendary rivalry between Edison and Tesla and J.P. Morgan and all of these, like, powerhouses that you can research for hours and days and months and years. There's so much written about all of these characters, all of these real people 
And yet in this film, these real people are, I mean, I hate to say, but just kind of meaningless. Um, it just, all of the interactions just do not work. Uh, Eve Hewson, uh, played by uh, Anne Mor- or sorry, yes, Eve Hewson plays Anne Morgan. She, again, she is good. She is palatable. But again, it goes back to that that switch, that gear switch, that drop-down shift that just kind of breaks the movie. And she is a central reason for that. And the whole time, it just it it was just hard to put this movie together. Um, I was going to give this movie the benefit of the doubt. When I was watching it, I was like, okay, maybe this was a quarantine COVID production. Because this is a one lot, one studio lot film. I mean, granted, studio lots, if you have never been on one, they can be gigantic. They could pretty much do this whole movie on like two large lots next to each other. And that was it. And so I was like, okay, maybe that was what they were doing. There are some filmmaking choices where it will show a, a painting kind of in the, in the background. And you're like, okay, sure, this is kind of established, an establishing shot, but you're not using a real shot of this field for some reason, but okay, creative license. And then Ethan Hawke would then walk towards the camera from this painting or picture and then go back to it and interact with it as if he were actually there, but it is a painting. And I was like, okay, were they doing this because they were not able to go and film on location? And so I kept trying to rationalize the filmmaking choices. And it still did not make sense. And then I finished the movie, look it up. Yeah, no, this was finished last year. This premiered in, I think at Sundance in January. So all of those reasons that I had been making for the movie, are like, okay, maybe they were not able to do X, Y, and Z. Yikes. Um, turns out, nope, those were all choices. The music choices make zero sense. It is some of the most discordant, kind of, uh, yeah, anachronistic music that climaxes that there's in the climax of the film (laughs) there's just a musical choice that I mean I literally laughed out loud I'm watching this at home of course I'm not sure why I need to say at home so I'm watching this on a screener and I'm laughing at this film and that that sucks and that is unfortunate and every now and then again in the before time in the long long ago when we would get press screenings and there would be anywhere from like 20 to 100 people in a theater. And there are certain movies when there's a serious moment, but it fails and that audience starts laughing and it is super uncomfortable because you can tell that that was not supposed to be funny. That happened several times while I was watching this film. And it kept taking me out of it. It just... I, I just do not understand it. And I love the stories about Tesla. I was so excited for the current war last year that I was excited for it for three years because it kept getting delayed and delayed and got caught up in the Weinstein whole scandal and everything. 
So when he finally got it, I was super excited because I, I, this whole current war piece of history is fascinating. It is truly fascinating when you think of what Edison and JP Morgan and Tesla were doing and alternating current, direct current. It, it is truly a fascinating piece of American history. And it was not that long ago. Like these were all things that happened early 20th century. Not all, but I mean, most of it. And so watching that will always be fascinating. This movie does a huge disservice to, to these people. Because it just, I stopped caring about all of these characters in this film. Because of the choices that, that were made. The filmmaking choices that were made. So it was, oof, it was rough. It was real rough. Uh, so <laughs> with that in mind... Again, uh, the movie is Tesla. Oh, I hate doing this. With my first episode back after a hiatus. But I got to give this an ugly. There is truly... I mean, I was trying to think of redeeming qualities that I could talk about in this film. And there really is is not much, uh, if anything. There are maybe a, a couple scenes. Uh, Eve Hewson has some great moments and so does Ethan Hawke but overall I was just I was uncomfortable watching this movie because it just uh, yeah the the filmmaking choices again were just maddening so Tesla uh, gets an ugly unfortunately okay now on to the international section of the podcast the first one I will be talking about is Peninsula now, this is the sequel to Train to Busan, and actually the original title of this was Train to Busan 2, kind of on the nose. Uh, Train to Busan is arguably, not arguably, I'm not sure why I would say arguably one of my favorite zombie movies, as if I need to argue with myself about that. Um, listeners of the show will know that I love me a zombie movie, but that being said, Ever since Anna and the Apocalypse from a couple years ago, zombie movies are not the same. Anna and the Apocalypse broke me in the best way possible. I love that movie so much. I rarely buy physical media these days, but as soon as they came out with like the special edition Blu-ray of Anna and the Apocalypse, instant buy. Super excited about that. So going back to like kind of the standard zombie genre a sequel to a movie that i i really really like train to busan is a fantastic zombie movie but not just a zombie movie an emotional family dynamic movie where you kind of feel this tension and it is just palpable in so much of the original train to busan so in peninsula now this is directed by the original director uh yun song ho who you know, he has been involved with these since the beginning. Uh, he even did like a short film, you know, before this. It was like, or was it an animated? I think it was an animated one. So this type of movie, he loves doing. He is all about it. The difference with this one with Peninsula is this takes place four years after the initial outbreak that we see in Train to Busan, where now the whole peninsula of South Korea has essentially become a quarantine zone. Which was really weird watching this being like, huh, quarantine zones, cool, cool. Nothing 
nothing uh, similar to that going on right now. Nope, not at all. Um, so in this four years, South Korea has been quarantined. It is just a not not necessarily a desolate wasteland, but it is a place where nobody wants to go anymore. And so this film follows a, I will say a family, because we, we do start out with, with the family, kind of spoilers when I say start off with a family. But as it continues, we get connected to, you know, another family and their struggles as they have been surviving on the peninsula. And we do get a kind of, uh, I mean, not stereotypical, but we get a, a kind of general heist in this film of like, oh, the reason we need to go back to the peninsula is to get this thing that is only on that peninsula. And once you get that thing, then everything is going to be great. You know, so I was like, okay, it was just the MacGuffin to get us back to the peninsula, get us back to the quarantine zone that has been practically overrun by zombies in this four years. Now, one of the fascinating things with the original Train to Busan, it took place so much in the daytime. And that is way more terrifying, especially when it is this kind of zombie that is fast. Like sprinting, jumping, fast. So in the original, when it was during the day and you saw just the sheer panic on people's faces, you saw the zombies running through the hallways of these train stations and back and forth, immensely captivating, and it pulls you in. This film, about 90% of it takes place at night, in the dark, and that, it just, it again, it just feels like they did that to hide some of the, mm, not mistakes, I'm not going to say mistakes, some of the decisions they they had to make for this but one thing that was also tough with this and this is something i have seen you know in watching foreign films for ever when there's a very successful original foreign film and then they do a sequel for some reason and i say for some reason even though there are reasons that some of us already know about there is more of a focus on english in the sequel. And I I mean, I hate to say I understand why, but I do, and it sucks. So in this one, we get a bunch of characters speaking English, you know, at certain points. Like this is still in Korean, you know, most of the time. But it was just like the times that English was spoken, I just felt like were not really necessary. But because of the success of the first one, it was like, okay, the audience is going to be bigger. How about we do this? I mean, another example of that would be Tony Jaw. When he first exploded on the scene with Ong Bak, and then Ong Bak 2, and The Protector. With The Protector 2, there is so much English. It basically went from a Thai production to like a European production to get more of an audience, to get more traction, exposure, whatever it is. Another example is Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon 2, Sword of Destiny, which... Oh, I I wish I could have liked that movie, but it was just, it was real bad. And again, that one focused on English more in the sequel for just an odd choice, I guess. So with this film, though, 
where you do get those moments of tension, of the family, of the sacrifices that might need to get made and the choices that they might need to get made to survive this insane world that they find themselves living in. But a downfall of the movie, everything feels weightless. And when I say that, I mean physically weightless as far as this kind of turns into Fast and the Furious Peninsula edition in so much of the time, like so many scenes, they are just whipping around in these cars, both remote control cars and real cars, and nothing feels grounded. Nothing feels heavy. And it is also weightless in the performances, like in the in the character interactions. In the first movie, you felt... I mean, it it just it pulled at your chest when some of the characters were making the decisions that they had to make in that film. And I think a lot of it that is again, you had you saw it. It was clear as day. Literally, it was shot during the day. In this one, so many times that a character had to make those tough choices, it just did not have that weight to it. It did not have that same feeling of, okay, this is bad. This is really bad. And something you know, is going to happen, but it just kind of, when it did happen, it was, it just kind of, kind of rode that same plateau and did not really peak. So that, that was a big disappointment uh, for me because the strength of the first one was not only that it was shot in daylight and you could see everything, but it was also on the performances. And this, it, it just did not really have that. They did do some really interesting things, and especially in the zombie genre, where you kind of have to come up with something different. The distraction methods they use were really clever. I liked that. At one point, one of the characters says, zombies cannot see at night. So we should do that, and they're distracted by noise. Now, that is clever, because, and they kind of touched on this in The Walking Dead a little bit, if there was a zombie outbreak... And it lasted for years. At some point, that zombie's body is going to start falling apart. You're not really getting nutrients if you're not able to absorb it because you no longer have a stomach. And so the eyes, these gelatinous globes that we have on our face, would start kind of falling apart, would start kind of melting. So that was a really cool thing that a character mentioned and then never talked about again. And I was like, come on. Guys, like, you brought up this cool thing and a way to kind of navigate the zombie genre, the zombie hellscape, in an interesting way. And they just did not do anything with it, but they did choose to focus on the other distraction methods of loud noises and, you know, flares, which were really cool. And I liked that. But again, just the, the word that kept coming to mind was just weightless. Um, I know that I am comparing this movie to a lot of things, but it was similar to the Hobbit trilogy that we got a couple years ago. Compare that to the Lord of the Rings trilogy where everything was grounded. Everything was heavy. The armor on the Urukais, like everything was just chunky. The Hobbit comes out and you have these characters literally bouncing down a mineshaft and not getting hurt. With this film... With Peninsula, it is the same thing. We see characters, first of all, navigating a city with a car that does stuff that I am not sure if physics exists on this peninsula. 
but it just does not work. Which again, if this were a Fast and the Furious type movie, you put that out of your head. You're like, all right, cool, whatever. With this, because I, I was maybe going into it with my own bias of it being more of a grounded story, and then everything just starts going crazy, and I was like, okay, this just does not make a lot of sense as to why they chose to have things be so weightless and so over overly reliant on the CGI of it. They had really cool concepts, and they have a great cast, and they have a, a cool idea and an expansion of the universe, and I just don't feel like they took all of the opportunities that they could have. The cast itself, you know, is good. There are some, you know, cool interactions. I feel like I would butcher most of the cast names, so I, I'm not going to do that out of respect for, for my Korean listeners. Um, I'm sorry. I just, I, I would feel really bad if I just butchered all of that. And I always try and look up YouTube clips of an interviewer saying somebody's name, so I know how to pronounce it. A lot of these, I could not find that. So, um, so yeah, so the overall cast, though, I liked it. Um, there were definitely some heavy-handed tropes and kind of the post-apocalyptic scenario tropes. But you, you know what you're getting into with this. So I liked that. The, the over-reliance on CGI, did not like that. Being all at night, for the most part, mm, did not like that. But because of general things that I liked, and this is something that especially for fans of the first one, I would recommend just so you can kind of maybe not, you know, put a capstone on this because who knows? He might do another one. He why not? He owns the IP. Go for it. So my official rating, though, for Peninsula is a bad and, and I kind of hate to do that because I did really like the first one. I do really like the first one. And I went into this one maybe with too high of an expectation, but I just kept getting surprised at why things were happening the way they were happening. And that was just unfortunate. So it gets a bad uh, from me. The last film on the docket, another international film. This one is from Russia. This is called Sputnik. Now, this is a horror sci-fi film, which is a genre that I love. I'm a big fan of that, mainly because... I, I might not be the biggest horror fan, but I am a huge sci-fi fan. So if you give me sci-fi with a dash of horror, I will gobble it up. The storyline for this is this is about 1983, you know, during the Cold War. A couple cosmonauts, Russian cosmonauts, are in space. I guess it would be weird if they were not Russian cosmonauts, but you know what I mean. Uh, they go up into space something happened. We are not sure exactly what in the beginning. Their pod crashes into Kazakhstan. They get rescued. Uh, they find out that one of the soldiers, maybe two cosmonauts came up and three creatures total came down. And what does that mean? And is he aware that he is possibly housing an alien creature in his body. So, yeah. Uh, this was directed by, oh boy, Igor Abramenko. Uh, written by, oh, oh man, Oleg Malavichko and Andrei Zolotarev. Zolotarev, yeah. Again, I feel somewhat better mispronouncing the Russian names, but because I think those are just somewhat easier to, to get there. But 
Um, so this actually, what I like about this is the writer and is the yeah director of this. Sorry, Igor. So he did this movie. He did a movie called The Passenger in 2017, which is kind of his entry. That was it was a short film that was the same kind of plot of this cosmonaut comes up, cosmonaut comes back down, and he has a visitor with him. But what I like to see, especially from the indie film community, is when you make a short and it does really well, and then somebody gives you the chance to make that into a feature. So often with short films, that is kind of your pitch that you can then take to festivals. You can take all around. You can shop it around and then go to a studio and be like, hey, these are the accolades I won with my short. This is the kind of money or resources we need for a feature. Love it when that happens. Uh, Kin was another example of that from a couple years ago. There was like a dope little sci-fi movie that was based off of a short. So, yeah. So with Sputnik, uh, I know none of these actors. Uh, These are all pretty well-established Russian actors that, I mean, egg on my face. I'm not very up-to-date on my Russian uh, cast these days. So... But the base of this is not only when the cosmonauts come down and there is something that came back with them, but the main character of this, or yeah, she is the main character, Tatiana. She is a doctor who is brought in to analyze this cosmonaut and to really get an idea of like, okay, what is his deal? Does he know that we know that there is something different about him? And if so, what does that mean? A big benefit that this movie, a a big kudos that I will give to it, it knows what it was doing from beginning to end. It did not overextend itself. Like, it definitely is pretty gory in, in a few scenes. But the budget of this was really reasonable, and they did it in a really smart way. It was not like we needed to see a big fancy alien ship, or we needed to see all of that. We needed to see, essentially, an exorcism movie, a possession movie. That is what we needed, and that is what we get. So that by itself, like, that was just really cool that they kept a small budget, or I mean, I'm not sure what the budget is, but kept a reasonable budget and did not go, you know, over the top with it. It is kind of one of those things where less is more compared to this, like, peninsula where it was like, more, 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 more zombies, more chase sequences, more this, more that. Sure. In Sputnik, it was less is more. It was like, okay, we're on a military base. We have about eh, a dozen or so people in this kind of direct circle of soldiers and doctors and cosmonaut. And we just keep it tight. We keep it on these relationships, these things going on in this bunker, in this base, And we let that story build. Uh, Another thing that I really, really dug about this movie, the creature design, once we actually see it, and we get to see it a few times, once we actually see it, it is super unique. And I love alien films. Again, I love sci-fi. To see something move and just gesticulate in in an interesting fashion, I love I just think that is really interesting, especially when you when you think about alien movies in sci-fi. Of course, duh, you think of Alien and, you know, Predator 
and things like that where one of the biggest features of those memorable characters is their physical movements, is the way that they enter a scene and exit a scene, just everything about it. So this creature design, I would say, I mean, maybe not even simpler because once we actually see the type of creature and everything, like it is not a simple design, but it is done just really well. And it also reminds me, speaking of kind of those, you know, other sci-fi movies, when you think of the original Alien film, the alien is only in it for like four minutes. Darth Vader in A New Hope is only in it for like 14 minutes. So less is more. We build up to seeing this creature. And even in the scene where we finally do get to see it, it takes us a while. And the camera just kind of closes in over a shoulder. And it is just really cool. It kind of pulls you in to this. And you get invested in that. So that was just, that was really cool. I liked the creature design and not just not just the creature design, but what they did with the creature itself. Um, again, with this one, the plot points, it just, yeah. Uh, it is a possession movie. It is an exorcism movie. In most possession and exorcism movies, there are those people in the film who want to take the thing out and study it, regardless of what that does to the host. There are other ones, there are other people who are like, but we need the host and the creature. No, we just need the host. Forget about the creature. Back and forth, back and forth, internal dynamic, struggle, struggle. So you get that same dynamic here. But Tatiana, uh, who again who again is played by Oksana, I'm not going to pronounce her last name, Oksana. Um, her character, this doctor that is set to come in and like run these psychological tests on this cosmonaut, her physical performance also was incredible. She studies everything that this cosmonaut does. Everything that he is doing, every movement that he is doing, she is breaking it down. The first scene that, she, that we see where they interact with each other, again, she is specifically brought in to be like, hey, <laughs> please tell us what this guy's deal is and let us know. So she sits with him and everything that he does, you see her eyes darting from his head, his shoulders, his hand, his movements, everything that he does, she is just tracking and analyzing. And within like the first two minutes of this interaction, they finish up that scene. She kind of goes back around with the other like soldiers and doctors and she already gives her analysis and it is spot on. And of course, they do not believe her because why would they? She's just a professional that you specifically brought in for this reason. But I just, I loved that character choice. And I'm not sure exactly how the script broke that down. If it was like, you know, make sure to look here, 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 here. Or if that was just her just pulling that character, but super, super solid choices. And I, it was just fascinating to watch her analyze him without him knowing, without anybody really knowing what she was doing. Because of course they behind the two-way mirror or one-way mirror, like, oh, what is she doing? Why is she telling him this, this, this? She knew exactly what she was doing. She was confident in her, in her abilities. And that was, that was really cool. I liked that quite a bit. Um, another movie that had a good soundtrack, good score, did not detract really from anything. It just kind of seamlessly blended in. And I just, I liked the low budget or lower budget, I should say, 
sci-fi approach to this. I think it worked super well. And I'm on board for whatever this guy does next. Uh, if he does another something like this, or if he does another short film that then he wants to make into a feature, I'm on board. I am now a fan club member of the Igor Abramenko fan club. So, that being said, my official rating for Sputnik gets a good as well. Okay, so to recap, Project Power, streaming on Netflix right now, gets a good. Tesla, which I believe is streaming now. Again, it, I think the release kind of got a little bit weird. That got an ugly. Peninsula got a bad, and Sputnik got a good. So, boom. There we go. After a few months, you get four movie reviews that run the gamut of good, bad, and ugly just kind of all over the place. So, yeah. Whew. Okay, that was about an hour of me talking to myself. Uh, again, I should say, after so long. And again, I just want to say thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you for just listening to the show, being a supporter uh, during these kind of crazy times. And again, in my movie trailer voice, in these uncertain times that every commercial is doing right now, these are uncertain times. These are unprecedented times. But the amount of people that reached out to me, it just it means the world. So thank you so much for listening. Uh, the other exciting thing. Uh, <laughs> this is actually kind of kind of big news. After four years of doing this podcast, launched in April of 2016, as, as anybody will know, I keep my face, my real human face, out of social media and I, I really kind of keep things separate and I've talked about it before but one of my reasons for that was I wanted the product which is the podcast to speak for itself without the face I wanted people to be become fans of the show and the content without really knowing the person behind the microphone and behind the mask that I would bring to comic conventions and film festivals. I say that because that actually is set to change here in this maddening year of 2020. Uh, there is going to be an article dropping on Friday, Friday afternoon, uh, in the mat or in the online magazine. That seems weird. Online magazine on the website, Seattle Refined. Uh, they reached out to me. Uh, one of their reporters, Abby, reached out and wanted to do an interview on me and kind of what it was like being a film critic and being a podcaster. And so I agreed to it. We started talking, had a great interview. And she was like, cool, I just need some pictures for the website. <laughs> and I was like, right, pictures of me on your website. And she was like, yeah, you know, anything of you just like, you know, recording or anything. And I was like, right, those do not really exist. But uh, regardless, there are some pictures of me when I have been on panels up in Vancouver for diversity in filmmaking and some other things. So the big news of that is that on Friday, on this website, it will be the first time that my real human face will be tied to the podcast in an article. Uh, there have been there was an article written about me a couple years ago up in Vancouver, but did not show my face and. This one is. So I want to thank Seattle Refined and Abby for reaching out and kind of giving me that opportunity. 2020 was supposed to kind of be my coming out year, coming out from behind the mask year, and then the world caught on fire. 
So a lot of plans had to had to change, had to get shifted. So I'm really grateful for this opportunity for Seattle Refined. As soon as that article comes out, I will be definitely blasting it on, on social media. Check it out. We just kind of talked about, yeah, how I got into this and where I think I can go with it and and what will happen. So that will be very interesting. I will also be reading it for the first time on Friday afternoon when it drops. So not really sure how it is going to turn out. But yeah, that, that will be interesting. So my real human face, for those of you listening who do not know what I look like, you will now have a chance and it is kind of freaking me out. But, you know, it, it is what it is. After four years, 200 episodes. Yeah, uh, it is time. It, it is time. So, all right. I am going to shut down the studio, but I will be back. I definitely am going to get back in the habit of releasing episodes regularly. I miss it. I miss interacting with everybody. So for this episode and for the podcast in general, make sure to follow it on social media at About Review, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Support the show. Uh, there will be a link in the episode description to support that way. And yeah, just if you want to shoot me an email, review at gmail.com. Send me anything. And honestly, if you just need somebody to talk to about movies, about something on Netflix, send me an email. I will absolutely talk to you because I miss it. And that is what I'm here for. So with that being said, again, I feel like I've been wrapping this up for a few minutes now, but thank you for listening. As always, I have been your host, that guy named John. I'm your friend in film, and I will see you next time. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby. Let's all go to the lobby to get ourselves a treat.